Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Neuro Media Show. I'm Alexander Wolf, and we are delighted and very honored to have Jasmine here today. She is the president of Big Mountain Foods. She is a food processing industry professional specializing in allergen-free plant-based product development. She has exceeded sales growth projections since she started the expansion of Big Mountain Foods. Winner of the 2018 Business in Vancouver 40 Under 40 Award, BC Food Processing Association Best New Product Award and Rising Star Award recognition from the federal and provincial government for innovation in the plant proteins. She successfully launched new plant-based products across Canada and the US in over 5,000 grocers. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Can we get started with a little bit of a introduction to Big Mountain Foods and what you do and what you kind of foods you sell? Yes, of course. So Big Mountain Foods was founded in 1987 by my mother, Kimberly Chamberlain. We consider her one of the OGs in plant-based. She was making veggie burgers before they were cool. <laughs> and since the 80s, we've now expanded greatly. More consumers are looking for more plant-based options and there's this whole flexitarian buzz going around so we most recently moved into a 70,000 square foot facility to give us more capacity and uh, really excited that we just launched a project that actually took us eight years to commission and that's our soy-free tofu made with Canadian fava beans and uh, we launched that in September 2022. So we're just on the market now and getting traction. The feedback's been amazing. Eight years. That's a, was that just like a commitment that started from the beginning? Or was it just something that you knew you wanted to do? So you just kept on, on working it? How, how does that happen for a product? Well, so when um, I first joined Big Mountain, Kimberly and I looked at uh, the different white space opportunities in the refrigerated uh, meat alternative section of the grocery store. And at that time, it didn't have its own section. It was more just where you'd find tofu and some soy products. So essentially the whole category was um, had allergens in it, weed or uh, soy. And we realized that if you were eating plant-based, there was no alternative if you had one of the major allergens, which is soy and wheat. So um, that's what started the journey with soy-free tofu. But we wanted to make sure that it's had the same texture, taste, color, functionality, all that good stuff is tofu. There's been a few people that have tried to replicate tofu, but it's not that same traditional method. And we wanted to get it right. So the consumer that couldn't eat soy or wanted a different soy option would still get that same experience. And during that journey, we actually found fava beans and were higher protein now than soy tofu per serving. So we're really proud of that. I, I was thinking of my next question was how, how was it getting into the market? But if you the company started a while back, you said 87, right? Was it more educating people and open up the market other than marketing yourself in a market that was already existing? Was it more like that? Well, I feel like um, companies like Beyond Meat with their major marketing dollars really set the tone to bring awareness to the plant-based category. 
us as a small family run business, we didn't have that type of funds to, to go out and educate consumers. So when that sort of buzz started happening, we kind of also decided to scale. It was a great opportunity to kind of follow that, but then have our own niche, which is allergen free and not trying to taste like meat, just be a flavorful alternative to meat. But we, we definitely have stayed true to our values, which is not trying to taste like meat. I like that a lot because I've had a lot of discussions with people because I'm very opinionated and I'm saying <laughs> why everybody's trying to replicate meat and make it seem like, like I love good tasting food. Why don't I just make good tasting food with those ingredients, right? I know that's just like the mindset that you kind of want to consume meat so it's our biology just like ingrained in us. But was it hard to go against like, you know, like the cliche marketing of like better than meat or beyond meat it's like and then just making your own dishes for from maybe hitting those protein levels and just making your own recipes. Was that an internal talk or was just like from the get go, that's what you wanted to do? So uh, back to our conversation around not trying to taste like meat and just um, tasting good and be veggie forward, we like to call it, but still a good amount of protein. We kind of see since obviously starting in the 80s, it's interesting, everything comes full circle. So for a minute there, there was the trend around everything tasting like meat, bleed like meat. And now there's a, the market's showing there's a decline and retailers are now coming back to us again, saying we want more veggie forward. We, we want just regular, you know, clean label food that isn't trying to bleed like me because it still just isn't there yet. And they're seeing that in the trends from consumers repurchasing. So I think us sticking to our niche has been a really good business decision because we're, we're staying stable. We're not trying to change our business model just because of what's trending. And there'll, there'll always be a need for veggie forward and just clean, minimally processed food. Right. It's the whole trend hopping and then the cost to trend hopping, right? Labels, new products, everything, or sticking to your product and knowing that it is a cycle that you're going to have downturns, you're going to have upticks. And then those upticks, that's when you, you know, explode and get ready for those, right? Exactly. So right now, how's the conversation? What's the strategy at your size of whether just being a hundred percent retailer or also offering some sort of e-commerce side? Um, I had a, a previous conversation where an entrepreneur was saying that in the beginning, it's easier to do e-commerce because you get a lot of feedback direct from the consumer, right? To tweak your product. And then because of costs, it, then you switch to be, maybe being more profitable to go uh, retailer and bigger production. And then maybe it's an up and down. How does, at your size, how does, how does that conversation go? Maybe you can give us a little insight. Well, e-commerce is really tricky for us. And that's another thing that started trending, especially during um, COVID. People were really selling on e-commerce spending a boatload of money on marketing funds um, and we were very close to jumping on that trend started going and reworking our website to be a Shopify site but now again it's coming full circle that especially with refrigerated products you're spending more on shipping than what you'd ever make in profit um, so just like no profitability at all trying to ship refrigerated products next day across the country and then the marketing dollars per click i i think that that's definitely changing now there was a trend 
to sell your products individually on e-commerce. I think the only way it works is if you have a really good gig with Amazon or the online retailers that like, for instance, Walmart, that that you can shop online directly through them or Whole Foods um, with Amazon, where they have the system down packed to keep everything refrigerated. Um, and they can keep that cold chain going because it's it's definitely not worth it anyway on our side. It's a lot easier when you have dry goods for sure. So we haven't gone that route of e-commerce. You, you, you start getting yourself into more a side business of uh, supply management and uh, logistics, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, um, that. <laughs> do you source all your, like, how does sourcing your, your your raw products work? Is it all come from Canada? Is it individual uh, farms that you kind of put it together? Uh, how does how does that work? Well, that's interesting. That's an interesting topic as well because at one point in our business, we used to um, source from all over the world, and it was easy with freight, easy to get um, inventory in, and then since um, a lot of natural disaster type things have happened, supply chain disruption because of labor. We're now going back to really sourcing local. We had inventory coming in from all over the world during COVID and we literally had to change our whole business model because it wasn't working. To get container prices um, going by water quadrupled, it was just way too hard to manage. The margins weren't there anymore. So now we're going back to sourcing local first. So now we're, especially with our tofu, it's our mandate. We use Canadian-owned uh, fava bean farmers and it's much more stable. And actually, even with the beans and vegetables we source, we're going with more stable crops that can withstand different things that are happening in the environment. And fava bean just happens to be one of those crops that it's quite stable even if you have a wet or really dry year. So these are all things that us as manufacturers maybe didn't have to think about before, but are becoming so real and apparent now. I'm seeing, uh, especially on LinkedIn, so many companies that are saying, two years ago, four years ago, my business was really profitable, amazing gross margins, and now my business is no longer sustainable we have to close up shop or sell and it's 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 pretty disheartening and i hope things turn around but the one thing we can do definitely is try to source local first because it cuts down a lot of the supply chain does that affect largely in in you what you're pricing your products oh yes yeah and especially with retail, you can't do a price increase or have a price increase for at least 90 days. And then you might have seen some buzz around retailers not even allowing price increases, like just full freeze. And us as manufacturers, we're getting price increases every day. And there's it doesn't matter if you have a contract or not. They're saying we won't supply you. Your film is going up 20% or your boxes and that's it because they have to also stabilize their business. So it's, it's very tough tough time right now but we're all getting through it that's for sure you just have to keep networking keep shopping around and um hopefully find better prices because yeah it's very challenging you can't go and raise your price because someone there raised their price on you <laughs> sorry i'm asking you all the tough questions but that's the stuff that i want to <laughs> that i want to know <laughs> it's a wild ride right now in manufacturing that's for sure <laughs> 
I'd love to get your opinion on, on, on last thing. I've been working more with the uh, cider industry and I see all these old farms, right? That do their their their, uh, their apples and discover yeah. like obviously selling directly to the grocery store, like cents, right? Yeah. It's scratched, they send the whole bins back and usually used to be going to landfill. But they discover making cider with their apples. Uh, bigger yeah. profit margin and seeing more of like you produce your own raw product and you put in extra little bit of work and produce a final product. You, you take raw to a, an actual product to sell, not a commodity, and it could be a slightly better business. Is that something that you have the manufacturing, you have the marketing, the, the market share, the product. Is it ever appealing for you to just maybe partner or buy out your own farm? Well, that's interesting rationale for sure. So. We haven't started thinking about um, the farming aspect, but we have really started um, changing up our thinking around using our own protein that we produce. So instead of buying um, split peas or a pea protein, we're now looking at putting tofu as our own protein that we make in all of our products. So now we're stabilizing our supply or supplying ourselves with our protein. And before we we didn't have that capability, we couldn't make our own um, protein in-house. So that's definitely on the horizon for us. We're actually testing right now, incorporating the tofu into into many products we already produce. So I like it's it's similar similar concept to the what they're doing with the apples and the cider for sure. To uh, make this a little bit less serious, can you give yeah. us an example of uh, a marketing campaign, an ad, or a product that stayed with you since childhood to now, and it's like a fun memory for you? Well, uh, I grew up in manufacturing, so I don't know much on the marketing, but I can say one thing that um, I used to run this packaging machine at our old facility that was like only a thousand square feet. And when um, we decommissioned it, no one wanted to keep it, just sell it for scrap. And um, I recently actually just put it back into production and modified it a little bit. And so it's kind of cool to see something that's like 30 years old go come full circle and now back into our production line, just repurposing it instead of spending a fortune on a new packaging line. So it's kind of like that uh, deja vu feeling. Hmm. <laughs> it's like bringing you back to your teenage years when you were just trying to work part time at your family business. Yeah. So it was pretty cool thinking of all the stories and all the hard work that happened on that machine and now it's back in production <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I see that a lot a lot that we, we exported a lot of manufacturing it's kind of starting to get back home right in the next 10 years it's going to be a lot more canada us mexico stuff yes growth yeah well is there anything else that you'd like to add before we wrap up well just for um people to go out and try our new tofu and tell us what you think we're excited to hear feedback and um took us a long time to develop so now we're moving forward i'm really excited about it perfect thank you so much jasmine see you later bye